Isaiah 60 is going to start on page 619 of your pew Bible. We won't go through the whole chapter. We're going to try to get to Matthew as well. But the, the verses that we heard read a few moments ago are from both the start and the conclusion of the chapter. And I want to try to give you what those verses mean along with just some, I don't know, fly over the top beauty of, of what's in between and where it goes. And let me try to set this up before we dig into it then. Where, where does it go? Isaiah 60 is being proclaimed to the city of Jerusalem, Zion, the people who will come to be called the Jews. So if you want to think of it as he's proclaiming to the Jews uh, that even though they have been saved by the prayers of Hezekiah repenting before Yahweh of hosts in front of the armies of Babylon and uh, the envoy, the Rabshakeh, who cursed God and said, even God can't save you. Uh, Hezekiah prays to Yahweh, Lord of hosts, the God who is the Father of Jesus Christ, the God who is Jesus Christ, the God who is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And the answer is an angel army that just destroys the Babylonian vanguard. The vanguard, as you hopefully know by now, returns back to, I believe, oh, I'm going to lose his name, Sennacherib uh, is the emperor. He wasn't at that battle. He's more concerned about Pharaoh. But as the army, kind of what remains, gets back to him, uh, to join his forces, he gets word from Babylon that there is rebellion af afoot. He returns home to put rebellion down. He is killed from behind by his sons while he's worshiping his God. And who said, who couldn't stop you? Right? So, so Yahweh, when Yahweh says, I can, when Jesus says, I will, then the answer is God does. Hezekiah prays, God saves them. And now Isaiah begins and gives from chapter uh, 60 on, especially, but 40 on, uh, he gives the promise of what's going to happen next. And what's going to happen next is that they're going to forget. They're going to forget. Hezekiah is going to have a son named Manasseh who's all but going to make him forget and then repent. Josiah is still coming. They got reformation still coming. But the fact is the city is going to get destroyed. It's going to happen. And yet, God is going to do more than just that. He's going to destroy the city, and he's going to bring them into a better city. Now, for them, that doesn't mean Babylon exactly. What it means is a hint at what Jeremiah will make very clear. You're going to go away. You're going to come back. You're going to go back to the land. And when you go back to the land, that's when I'm going to save the whole world. And that's chapter 60. Arise, shine, your light has come. The salvation of the world has gone back to the land. Now, you can imagine that when Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel went back to the land, and then it was sort of a fight to build the wall. <laughs> Is it always a fight to build a wall? Why are you building the wall? Because there's a fight. You know, they went back to the land. They had some trouble. It didn't seem like their light had come just yet. We're going to get to this. I mean, arise, shine, your light has come. That's when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, which had been rebuilt for him to be born you know, in Bethlehem, all this that we know as Christians. But Isaiah is saying this from long before, right? Arise, shine, your light has come. Look forward to the fact that going back to the land, rebuilding Zion is going to bring about the Messiah and that everything that that means is going to flow from, from there, right? So the light that is coming is Jesus. The light that is coming is the Son of God. The light that is coming in this case for them is the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Also, for you today, the light that has come is, again, Jesus, and don't miss the Holy Spirit, who is alive and well inside of you. Uh, hopefully more of that as we go. But the call is, you know, believe. 
Yeah. Wake up. God is alive and he's in Jesus Christ. Arise, shine, your light has come. And the glory of Jesus Christ is, notice, is risen upon you. If you just put Jesus Christ in there for Lord, it says Jesus Christ is risen in the Old Testament. I mean, just don't miss that, right? Jesus Christ is risen for you, upon you. But now notice, behold, while you know who God is, he is risen. Hallelujah. You know who God is. Behold, verse 2, darkness shall cover the earth. So the promise of Christianity is not that you will know the light and never see darkness. It's that you will see the darkness and you will know the light's now inside of you by means of your baptism into the word of Jesus, membership in the body of Christ. Deep darkness will be over the peoples though, right? So this is, what was so beautiful about where this is going is this is not just a prophecy for Jerusalem. This is a prophecy for the temple of God. And however God wants him to find the temple, wherever he was to put the temple, this prophecy is for that temple. The beauty is that Jesus Christ is the temple torn down, rebuilt in three days. And now when his body and blood, his bread and wine go into you, guess what you are? You're his temple. So again, it's, it's all for you while the world is going to have darkness. The world is going to have darkness, but Jesus Christ will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the, the Gentiles, the nations, now that's us, we get linked into this promise right now, right here. It's not just for the Jews. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I mean, transfiguration idea going on here a little bit too, right? Jesus shining on the mountain. But what I want you to zoom in on here is that word Gentile. Let's see if we can kind of make something of that word Gentile for your, for your memory banks this morning. I know you don't go home and use the word Gentile with anybody ever, okay? Maybe you'd like someone to be more gentle, but you never tell them you'd like to be more Gentile. They'd, they'd be like, what are you talking about? And, uh, you know, the word that is more common, in fact, and still used today is the word goy. Goy. Uh, goy is Yiddish for not Jewish. It comes from goyim, meaning the other peoples. Now, it depends, I guess, on how they say it, what they mean when they say it. We'll leave that for them. Gentile is the same kind of word, but, but back in the Greek era and then translated through Latin. So, so the original word versus the Latin word, Gentile is the Latin word, Latin influx, maybe even a, a German influx. I, I, I didn't do the research on that enough to tell you. What I know is what it means in other languages. Huh? And so that's what's going to help is when you hear Gentile in other languages, like goy, like goy. Or uh, actually in English, you really want to put Gentile in English, you would say heathen. You still know what that one means, right? Or pagan, right? That's Gentile, pagan, heathen, goy. I really like this was accidental. I found the word in both Chinese and Japanese this week as well. And they don't have the word Gentile. I mean, they don't have that sound in their language. And, and nor do they have the word goy or anything like that. But they do have a word that would be used to describe if you're not Japanese. And it, it's outsider, which given, you know, think about them. They're on this little island with like China next door, right? And so if you're, you're, either, you're either from the island or you're not, right? Distinctions aren't bad. Borders aren't bad. Walls aren't bad. Having your own race that is a tribe and a heritage isn't bad. What I want you to see how is that the Gentiles, the, the nations, the heathen, all of that, the goy, shall come to your light. Who? Jesus. 
Jesus, the true temple of God, right? And kings to the brightness of your rising. One more word for Gentile. Uh, you could use the word German. That's what the Romans called the Gentiles. If, if you were to the north of the Roman Empire and, and you were an outsider, you were called Germans. It didn't matter whether you were from France or from Germany or Norway. You were a German. It just meant, again, those other peoples. Now, today, that's not what German means. Again, they call themselves Deutsch, and uh, Babel goes on and on. Uh, the word that perhaps, again, would help with what's coming next in America. What's coming next in America? There are pagans. Go down to Barnes & Noble at Cherry Valley. Look at the Christian section. Look at the witchcraft section, and you tell me where the country's going. It's really easy. So there's real pagans coming around, but but before they end up, you know, doing their little chanting in the vineyard with their cat and their offering of roses to the white magic goddess, blah, blah, so they can whatever. You know, before they get there, the guys are just going to turn into barbarians. That's another word for Gentile. Barbarians, right? Uncouth. The ones that are not really able to even be among you because they're so something else. The Gentiles shall come to your light. There is no human being, no culture, no people outside of the goodness of Jesus Christ. No one's too far gone. No one's too far out. For them to be brought to the truth of his resurrection. That is the promise being given here in chapter 60 of Isaiah to the Jews. We don't exist yet when the promise is being given. It goes on from chapter six or chapter 60, verse 4, all the way toward the end of the chapter, like mounting up and up, what does that look like? What does it look like when all the barbarians become Christians? When all the pagans become Christians? When all the heathen become Christians? When all the people become Christians? Verse four, we're gonna read here. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Multitude of camels shall cover your land. Oh, that's where the camel shows up in the three wise men story is that verse right there. Uh, the dromedaries, that's a fun word for camel. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and those of Sheba, they shall bring gold and incense. And they shall proclaim the praises of Jesus Christ, right? That's what just happened with Epiphany, as we remember them coming to worship Christ. All the flocks of Kedar, right? And I will glorify my house. Notice the house, his temple. That's the body of Jesus again. Um, and then he says, who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? So that, that's kind of a poetic moment, okay? So after talking about how the Israelites are going to come and their children are going to come and everything's going to be the way that it should be, he says, but who are these other people? Who are these other people that are they're flying like a cloud? I mean, how does the cloud fly? If I just say cloud, which one do you think of? Or is it three of them in a perfectly straight line following an airplane that stays all afternoon? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, a cloud. You ever watch the clouds move with the wind? Where you're like, it's not that windy, but you look up and it's just like, those things are, those things are flying, you know? Big old thing up there in the sky, right? The idea here is, you know, it's a, it's a powerful, out of your control reality. And then like doves to their roost. How, how does a homing pigeon get home? You know? It's not the same route every time. 
I'm pretty sure I know that much. Uh, it is going to happen, though. So who are these who are coming in this great mass, flying quickly, who are going to get home no matter what? Surely the coastlands, it says. And if you don't know, that means Goyim, Gentile, pagan, heathen, barbarian, sea peoples, Philistines. Well, then you don't know. It's talking about how the Philistines are going to come to Jerusalem too. Today we say Palestinian, by the way. Uh, Surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first. That's going to be Rome. That's actually Rome, Tarshish. Uh, To bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to the name of Jesus Christ your God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls. Their king shall minister to you. Now all of this, Persia does this. Persia sends them back with money. They say, go build the temple. They have people who are going to end up going with them. And so Jerusalem does become a a metropolitan city of kinds. We're going to go past kind of the details here, though. And what I want you to see is that God is saying here in Isaiah, when I restore Jerusalem, it will be for everybody. And those who are not of Jewish blood will come in such large numbers, in such hordes, that you'll say, where did these people come from? And indeed, on the day of Pentecost and beyond, it continues to be a truth that God calls forth life out of death. And where two or three are gathered in his name, again, the spirit will blow and the word will be spoken and hearts will rejoice and the church is alive. It doesn't end until the tree is brown. We are invited into this ongoing perfect reality. It's perfect in heaven. It's perfect in Jesus. It's perfect according to the prayer. Thy will be done, no matter what else just happened. You're invited into this perfect reality through faith alone. You don't get to have a perfect body. You don't get to have perfect emotions. You don't even get to have perfect trust. You get to have a perfect promise. A perfect promise that Jesus Christ is this light that was told to arise and shine, and he is arisen, and now he says it's about you. Not by yourself. You don't have to catch him. You don't have to get to him. You don't have to earn it. He just says, I'm bringing you. Come on. That's it. I'm bringing you. Come on. Arise, shine. Your light has come. Flow to the church. Come to the word, right? If you really want to then do something, don't go to Zion, that wall. I just watched, uh, uh, I forget his first name, Malay. I like this guy. You want to see some crazy in the world? Watch some Argentinian politics. Let me tell you. And if you think Donald Trump's hair is weird, I ain't kidding at all. This guy's got it going. It's a main, it's a, it's weird. It's like sideways. Anyway, you know, right after he wins this impossible election and becomes the first not communist president of Argentina and does, he's wielding a chainsaw. I mean, it's weird. Um, He converts to Judaism. You see this part. Hey, converted to Judaism after he's installed same week, converts to Judaism pictures this week. He's in Jerusalem at the wailing wall, crying, actually tears coming from his head, crying. Okay. So he's a Jew. I like the guy. I'm not trying to say he's bad. I'm saying he converted to a religion that's worshiping a building on some dirt where Jesus died. And that Christians don't do that. We don't go back and try to rebuild that building because Jesus rose. That's the building. Take and eat the body and blood. That's the building. You are a member in the body of Christ. That's the building. You are stones in a living temple, the foundation of which is Jesus Christ and the apostles and prophets' words, the scriptures or the buttress on which you stand. The cornerstone is Jesus. The foundation is what has come before to proclaim him. And now that is yours, right? 
Arise and shine, it belongs to you. And this is where, what gets here at the end, verses 19 through 22, the other part that we heard read, it definitely is about the life of the world to come, right? The sun shall no longer be your light by day, right? I'm still waiting for the morning when the sun hasn't come up, you know? It really doesn't matter if you believe in a round earth or a flat earth. Guess what's happening tomorrow morning? Sun's still coming up, right? You see how we just get, we argue about stuff and I don't, I don't care. I don't care about flat round at this point. I don't care about the moon. I watch the moon, right? I don't care if we get there, go there again. Uh, what I want to know is what is the moon watching? And why does Psalm 72 call it the faithful witness in the sky? There's a riddle for you. Well, I think it's along with the stone of Ebenezer, right? The, Ebenezer is a stone Joshua sets up to testify in the last day. So basically we both say, this stone is watching, and on the last day, if I break my word to you, this stone will tell God and I'll get the punishment for it. So I think that that's what Solomon says, the faithful witness in the sky. The moon's just watching everything. On the last day, the moon's going to talk. <laughs> the moon's going to say, well, there was this and this and this you did. You remember that? It was dark that night, but I was out. Yeah. And I'm not talking voodoo. I'm talking the creation belongs to Jesus. Yeah. So the sun shall no longer be your light by day. I'm waiting for that day when the moon and the sun no longer are the moon and the sun we know. But that what comes next, it will be, you know, Jesus will be your everlasting light. I've read stuff where people try to explain this. Like, how does it work that Jesus is the sun? Is he like up in the sky every day? You know? And like, what about at night? Is there no shadow at all? Like we don't get candles that flicker or anything? And so you can get off on this big argument about how it works. I even saw one time this guy, he figured out, like, if Jesus is, is, a, is a cornerstone, that means that he's a small pyramid. Stick with me here, okay? <laughs> he's a small pyramid on the top of a, of a big pyramid that's made of many stones. And so in Jerusalem, if Jerusalem's a giant pyramid and he's inside a room at the top that's made of a small pyramid, then his light will go out and reflect down into everybody else. Because if you shine light down through a pyramid structure, the light goes that way. You know what? That's a lot of fun if you really need that answer. Yeah. Um, I prefer the fact that when he transfigured, there was no shadows in his clothing. Uh, it's that clear. You know, when he wants light, there's light. When there's not light, there's light. It's going to be beautiful when it comes. It can be hard to imagine a beautiful future universe without a sunset in it, though. Don't you think? Yeah. So let your imagination be your imagination. And let the word of God be the word of God. And where you are not sure, let, let God be in charge. But let me suggest to you that these verses can be fulfilled for you today. When you don't have to be so literal as somebody who's so stupid as to think that words only have one meaning ever. Especially words you hear. <laughs> so there's more than one way that the sun might not be your light by day. And that's that when something goes wrong in your life, when there is a shadow over your spirit, the light that you would look to would not be the sun. Although, truly, sitting on your porch, getting some vitamin D in a warm afternoon, it will make you feel better. Everyone knows that, right? But it will not save your soul. It will not raise you from the dead, and it will not finally give you peace and conscience with your enemies. So what if this text really means that the sun will no longer be your light by day because you walk by the light of the word of the God who is Jesus Christ? And whatever this light might be that I'm going to use to grow some plants and eat some food with, it's just, just a reflection, actually. It's just a reflection. 
all the way down. And, and the only difference is I know it now. I don't worship the sun. I'm, it, the sun doesn't come out. What's a farmer going to do? Oh, my goodness. I got to look at the bills. The insurance man's going to get to me now. Oh, the government changed the laws again. How about Jesus is in charge? The weather will drive you nuts. Jesus is a firm foundation. The sun shall no longer be your light by day. Yes, I know what I said if you're asking that question on the internet. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for your brightness shall be the moon given to you by light for light. But Jesus Christ will be to you an everlasting light. Right, so this is an admonition to Bible reading. This is an admonition to prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is an admonition to taking his body and blood into your mouth as often as it's offered and you can get there. Huh? How can you have too much? Your sun shall no longer go down. When the sun goes down at night, does your faith go down? Mine doesn't. Yeah. Uh, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. New moon. We just had a new moon. Know what a new moon is? These are fun. This is like gravity crazy, okay? I think of this like a scientist. So for the last couple of days, we've had the moon like behind or in front of the sun, I should say. It's in front of the sun. And so it's, it's so bright. It's not, giving like enough, it's not enough in front of the sun to be a, an eclipse. But the sun is so bright we can't see it. This happens every month. It's called the new moon. It's how Hebrews used to worship. Um, full moon, we know more about that because, you know, party and teen wolf and all that kind of stuff. But um, that said, uh, when the new moon happens, the sun and the moon are in sync, which means you have a two, if, if we believe the science, right, we went to the moon, you have two giant balls of mass far above your head during the day. And you have two giant balls of mass far below your body during the night. And in theory, you're gonna, just going to be more tired right? Because it's like up versus down with the day, up and down, up and down, day and night, right? For a little bit. And then what happens with the full moon is it's the other way. The sun's on the opposite side of the planet. You're supposed to be asleep, but the moon's like, I should be up a little bit. And you have this imbalance. All of that is me suggesting that most of what you experience at some point runs through your ear, which includes little tiny antenna in it that pick up on subtle variations, such as gravitational forces. You hear via waves, and there's no way these giant balls, if they are what people say they are, don't impact our sleep and how we feel, right? So here's a new moon. And get this one then. This new moon, not only was it the moon and the sun in the sky, guess what? Every planet in the solar system was on the other side of us for like the last couple of days during the day. Again, that's a lot of gravity. That's a lot of gravity. What's gravity? Nobody knows. Electricity? Maybe we can argue and on and on. On and on into confusion until you find the way, the truth and the life who reigns as king over all of it, who set those things in the sky for signs and wonders and then said, no sign shall be given anymore except the sign of the resurrection of the son of man. Which means these things will certainly tell you how the weather's gonna be if you watch them enough. That's the truth, farmer's almanac, anybody? Yeah, uh, you can figure out some patterns and some seasons, but they don't tell the future. They're not gonna bring your dead back. They're not gonna give you a piece of conscience. All right. Instead, when there's a new moon and it's dark and there's no light anywhere, your faith is still there. Even the darkness is light to him. For Jesus Christ will be your everlasting light. That's the verse we're on. And the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also, your people shall all be righteous. I mean, justification by grace through faith, anybody? They shall inherit the land forever. That's your body that's going to rise from the dead and never be taken from you. The branch of my planting, yeah, you're the branch, he's the vine. That sounds like John to me. The work of my hands, that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We are his craftsmanship. 
that I may be glorified. God thinks it's important that he gets a say. Oh, what a thing. Uh, uh, And uh, a little one, don't miss it, ends quiet, but it's big. A little one shall become a thousand, and the small one a strong nation. I, Jesus, will hasten it in its time. When you're surrounded, you're surrounded by Jesus. Do you ever feel small? You ever feel like you're small yourself? I kind of have, I'll be very frank, a condition. It's a condition. I'll talk about it with you some other time. But one of its effects is I, I feel like I'm still eight physically. Like when I walk around, I think about my body. You know how a puppy gets too big and like they don't know they're that size? Like I'm still there actually emotionally. It's weird. Um, I've been working on it for years and you know, jujitsu has really helped with that. Um, but it's, it's kind of intense, right? I feel small all the time. Uh, beyond that, I've been in churches I know felt small. Uh, my first call was to a church that was very small. It was less than 30 people. And after the first weekend, there was less than 20. Oops. Um, <laughs> as it was closed communion, you know, Roman Catholic grandson. I said, you know, I can't do that. That'd be making me not a Lutheran then, you know. And so um, anyway, that's a long story. We were a small church. We felt small. We were afraid of being small. I was afraid of us being small. Um, the Missouri Synod right now is at the smallest it's been in many, many years. And the issue is so clear. It has nothing to do with mission programs or Sunday schools or anything else. It has everything with birth control. Our president, uh, Matthew Harrison, put this in a, a paper about six years ago that was put out to the assembly for the Synodical Convention just to encourage us to see that the only districts that have grown, the only Missouri Synod districts that have grown in the last 10 or 15 years were South Dakota and North Dakota. And the answer is family farming. Kids. But we have the schools. I know. Where are the schools and the kids? It's a tough spot to be in right now to feel small. And I know for a fact where the small starts. It starts right here with me in the pulpit. I'm 45 years old, born 1978. We're the missing ones. Generation X. We're gone. I don't think we're coming back. I hope so. I've been praying for my people a long time. TV raised and out. The next layer smells the problem better, and there are young people hungering for what's been stolen from them, but they're all a little ignorant and uncouth. And so they also feel alone and isolated, and they often will refer to the boomers when there aren't any boomers around, the way people used to refer to, say, black people, and the way now they refer to white people. Uh, The prejudice is strong everywhere. The dividing wall of history is left for us to face with our hearts or with the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, a little one shall become a thousand and a small one a strong nation. Where two or three gather in the name of Jesus Christ and call on him in prayer to make them stand as his people in his kingdom until the last day, he never says no. You do have to use his name. You do have to read the Bible when it's available to you to read it. And I would suggest that when you get together feeling small, is it your small psychology and soul like mine? Is it your small family that just feels like it's at the end? And I'll give you this too. I'm the last son of a last son, and I have one son. Daughters abounding all the way down. We're going to make it. You know, Fisk McAdams especially. There's a lot of fists out there. The McAdams, where are they? And that's my middle name. So like a small one, a great nation. Jesus is going to decide what he's going to do with me 
He's going to decide what he's going to do with my family. He's going to decide what he's going to do with St. Paul Lutheran Church. He's going to decide what he's going to do with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's going to decide what he's going to do with the church on earth today. And it's going to be good news. Arise and shine. Your light has come. Can you turn to Matthew to get a chance? We've got a few moments here still to look at Matthew chapter 15, where we see this action of going to the nations illustrated in several events that I hope give you a great deal of encouragement and confidence, again, to know that Jesus means good for you in your life, not just someday far away, but today, right, in the power of his name. And we get this story where he comes down and goes across the ski of Galilee. Verse 29 of chapter 15, where the text starts. And again, in your pew Bible, this will begin on page 821. It says, he departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain and sat down there. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Go back a little bit. Verse 21 is where we should be starting. Uh, then Jesus went out from there, which was a discussion about demon possession, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him. So I've, I've skirted a few lines in this sermon. I've mentioned Jews. I've mentioned black people. I've mentioned white people. Um, I haven't used any terminology for you know, middle ground colors. You know, but I mentioned the division between age groups. I've said Gen X. I've said Boomer. I haven't talked about millennials or Zoomers yet. And frankly, if you're in that, we got to get over that and become Christians again. But if you would like to think of in your head the most offensive word you can imagine, okay, the most offensive word, the most offensive thing, paint that word up as a person, make that word a woman who's in a city that's filled with stuff that's gross. And that's what this just said, okay? That. Jesus went out there from there and he went to the region of the red light district in Las Vegas and behold, a witchcraft practicing voodoo porn star came out and cried, have mercy on me. My daughter has a demon. And I think the most amazing thing in all of this is that Jesus knows there's a demon in a child and he's like, I don't care. That's amazing, given what we know about Jesus and who he is. Why does he not care? Why now? Those are important things. But there's a lesson here in this. Does Jesus send healing to every prayer for healing? And the answer is no. Hey, if anybody is stupid enough to believe a preacher who tells you that, oh, you just need to put more money in the plate, then you'll get miracles. I mean, really, you get what you deserve at that point, which is why he doesn't care if she has a demon. I mean, if you're really going to go somewhere, like she's only got what she deserved. Look where she lives. Tyre and Sidon. Las Vegas is nice. There's churches in Vegas. Okay. Like there is this place, Tyre and Sidon. This is a disaster. This is, what can I drink it up as? There isn't a place in the world. Timbuktu is probably nice there too. I bet you there's Christians there too. It was, this is a horrible place. And this woman, she's not only just a Philistine, she's a Canaanite. By name, Canaanite. That means she's supposed to be dead, according to the word of God. She should not live. They were to kill her long ago. 
drive her out of the land. Why? Because her parents murdered babies for religious fun. That's why God got sick of like flaying children alive and throwing them into the fire and he put an end to it. That's why. And now here she is many years later, still living among the demons. She didn't go to Israel. She hasn't gone and repented at the temple. She's not a God fearer. She's still living among the demons. And she's like, look what happened. Look what happened. I gave my kids demons and now they got demons. Why? And Jesus is like, I don't got time for this lady. I've just been dealing with all these people. I came up here and what's he doing? He's coming up here for like two days, three days off. He wants to eat and rest. Now, Jesus is Jesus. He knows, he knows, but he's also following the will of the father where he's humiliated himself before his father. So he doesn't know. He knows the father's with him. He knows the word is sufficient. He's living the life he's given us to live, which is one of faith. And he's exhausted and he's falling asleep while he's working and he's trying to, we're going to go out of the way. Nobody will know us in Tyre and Sidon. And there she is. Get rid of the demon. I don't got time for this lady. Now, the way he says it is ruder than what I said. He says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, there's a, there's a piece here that really matters. The miracles of Jesus Christ. When like the blind man comes, and he puts his hand on him or spits and puts a thing on his eyes and heals him, right? Like that event, the reason those events happen, the reason he is doing the miracles isn't just so that that blind man can have a better life. Like Jesus cares about everybody, but there's blind men in China at this point. There's blind men in Africa. Who knows? There's blind men in South America at this point too. Do they get healed too? I only came for the Jews, lady. Why? Well, this is all over the Bible. It's very clear. Uh, so that they will crucify him. If Jesus had done nothing but talk, we would never have heard of him. All his teaching, they would have ignored it. He'd been nice. He'd for a little community of people around him. They would have had a really nice life. They would have forgotten it after he, what, ascended? He did the miracles so that they had to shut him up. It's Lazarus rising from the dead that really puts the you know, nail in the coffin, as it were. So he is somewhere where he's not really there to do the miracle. He's there to rest, he'll teach, all these things, but he's not there for the miracle. She says, give me the miracle. And he says, it's not good to take what is for someone who is not you and give it to you. And she says, uh, yeah, Lord, but um, you're right here again. When she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table, she's like the woman in the crowd who's like, if I can just touch him. He doesn't even have to waste his time with you. I'll just get the cloak and I'll be good, right? You know, woman, great is your faith again. Your faith has healed you. Yeah, yes, Lord, you're right here. Do something about my daughter. It's not even for her, she's asking. And Jesus marvels, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter is healed from that very hour. Now, the, the peace to take right away is whatever you're asking for, keep asking for it. Use the name of Jesus. If you're asking for stupid stuff to spend on your flesh, you know, don't. Ask for things to make the life of this world better for all people while you're yet here in the name of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, you will see what you can do. Jesus will open your eyes. Uh, from this place on, again, he departs and goes around the Sea of Galilee. So he's He's going now from these two big cities where this woman, who he couldn't get away from but loved anyway, uh, is, uh, you know, takes his time. He's still tired. He goes out in the middle of nowhere. 
He goes out into the region of the Decapolis. And it's really to escape. The last time he was here, he met a demon-possessed man. He cast out the demon. Everybody told him, go home, leave, don't come back again. <laughs> now there's 4,000 men, women, and children plus all there trying to say, hey, you did this for this guy. Come help us now. And the list of, of salvation that takes place here is incredible to me. The mute, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. I don't know. Pardon me while I take a little sip of liquid. I don't know if this website is still out there, but there used to be a website that was something like GodHatesParaplegics.com. Can you imagine you're spending your money on that one? Somebody did. GodHatesParaplegics.com. Guess what that is? It is an evangelism tool for atheists, right? So you want to convert someone to atheism? Come to my class. I'll teach you. Insult paraplegics. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's in fact, or, or the, the website, the argument is, oh, you prayed for G to Jesus. You got healing because of your stomach trouble you had. That's very nice. Yeah. But show me a paraplegic. Show me who's lost fingers, grow their fingers back in the name of Jesus. And if you can't, God doesn't exist, you stupid Christians, right? I mean, I'm overplaying the hand. But, but they start nice with this kind of good question, no, I'm question thing, and then they, but they never listen. That's how you know a scoffer. A scoffer never listens. Whatever you said, they talk about something else. Uh, that's how you know a scoffer. In any case, uh, God hates paraplegics. The point was, again, you know, well, where is the salvation from this God where he heals the maimed? And well, the answer is, well, he, he did it. And the atheist says, but I wasn't there. Okay, yeah, you arrogant, self-righteous jerk. Yeah, you weren't there. They were there, and they wrote it down, and you don't believe them. That's the issue. Why don't you believe what people write down? And the answer for the atheist is your father. But that's a different discussion, okay? Uh, the, I, I, I got you, didn't I? Uh, uh, the point then for us here today, coming back to the text, is that Jesus, when he's alone in the wilderness, with all of these heathen barbarians who are bringing their children and their people to him. Do you remember Isaiah, rise, shine, they come to you, where'd they come from? Here it is happening in real life. And what are they getting? Everything's being healed. Nothing's not being healed. Everything's being healed. The promises are for us too. And then to just drive home the point, three days later, he says, I'm gonna teach you this Greek today. Uh, we're, we're zooming down to, uh, uh, you know, verse 31, uh, verse 32, excuse me. He says, I have compassion on the multitude. They've continued three days. They have nothing to eat. I don't want them to be sent away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now, remember the parable that the, uh, the woman in Tyre and Sidon just used to get him to heal her daughter. You know, even the children eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Remember that he's already fed 5,000 people in this same gospel just a few days ago. And now those Jews having been fed, where is he with the Gentiles who don't deserve a crumb? And what do they get? They get seven baskets full left over after everybody eats. So don't miss that part, okay? I'm not coming back to that part, right? but don't miss that. That's there. What I want to drive home is I have compassion on the multitude. How Jesus feels about you that you can know because you're one of these Gentiles being fed that day. That's what it means to eat the supper, is you're one of those Gentiles being fed that day. And what does he say after three days when you've come and you've said, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, right? What does he say? He says, that's what he says. And I want to teach you this one because it's, it's a strange word. So splag, you can do it, S-P-L-A-G, splag, splag, and then 
Kenizomai, imagine the word like I know you with a K on the front. That's from Greek. Okay, that's old Greek, still in English, right? And so if you pronounce it, it'd be like know you, right? So kenid and then a Z, kenidzomai, right? So try it, kenidzomai, right? Now, splag kenidzomai. It's one word. The word splag is a word. The word kenidzomai is a word, but together they make one compound word. So the root of splag, that's your spleen. That's kind of fun. Come back to that. And the root of uh, kenidzomai, this is to know something. So if I say splag kenidzomai, I basically say my spleen knows. <laughs> All right. In America, we say, you know, listen to your heart. But the Greeks were smarter than Americans. They knew that the heart and the spleen don't really always talk to each other so good. Now, you can use the spleen. You can use the sacrum. You can use the gut. I feel it in my gut. I feel it in my heart. They're like together, but they're not always the same. And then you have your mind as well that's often fighting with both of them, right? Uh, this is just how human nature is thought of in Greek anatomy and spirituality. They see them as the same, and Jesus uses the language. But what, what he said, he sees the crowd, I know in my soul what? Uh, ego, oh, no, that was last week, epiton aklon, I know in my soul Compassion for the crowd. Why? Fellow mepata ekluthosin. Um, fellow, I desire mepata that they not, and then ekluthosin melt. No. Faint. We translate it as faint, but it means like dissolve. I desire they don't dissolve entohado in the way, like the way, the truth, the life, the path the one you rock, the road, right? I don't want them to desire to, to dissolve in the faith. I don't want them to melt away. Why do we have the Lord's Supper so that we don't melt away? But again, bringing it back to why does he do this? Because of splegkanizomai, because he loves us. His soul, his passion, his heart, his life, everything goes out to who? The crowds. Who's that? That's you. The crowds. You're always in the crowds. You may not be speaking with the crowds, but you're always in the crowds. So when Jesus' heart goes out for the crowd, just raise your hand and say, me too, please give me some bread, Jesus. I'm here. I'm here. And remember again, splag kenidzomai, as we go out the way today. I want to drive this home for you. Imagine for a moment that you are Alexander the Great. And that might be tough. You got to imagine being like a 24-year-old man who has the American military at his fingertips and is conquering all the known planet because he wants to. All right? Uh, he's a raging alcoholic, a bunch of other problems. But uh, imagine you're this guy and you've just like reached, I don't know, the lion throne in Babylon or maybe some other place off even further that no one's ever, ever seen. They've only heard of it and you just conquered it. And you go, you know, Ego Ami Alexandros Megas. Huh? Megas. You know this word, mega, right? Big, uh, uh, mega, Alexander's megas. That, that is who he speaks of himself as. That is who we call him, Alexander the Megas, the Great. But now I want you to take all of that Greek, scary, barbaric, rah, 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 rah. And I want, to, I want you to hear it in the word, splag kondizomai. Imagine that that's what the king did when he conquered it all. And he said, splag kondizomai. You know, I have compassion. That's my kingdom. 
And I want you to know that that's who Jesus is. He doesn't conquer for himself. He doesn't die and not come back and have all his generals fight over the empire. He lives and reigns to all eternity. And you are anointed and christened as sons in his kingdom that shall have no end. It's like kamizomai. So, so what might you do since you are one with him? What might you remember today next time you're out in the crowds where there's a bunch of heathen? and barbarians, and outsiders, and weirdos, I encourage you, splag kanizumai, have compassion. Have compassion. Because that is who God is to you. So you might as well enjoy it while you're standing in the midst of everything else. In the name of Jesus Christ.